Uh, you're walking through the woods and there's a giant uh, turquoise triangle with ten legs. Hello, my name is Tamara. On the tip of my tongue, this is a sound catalog. It accompanies the exhibition On the Tip of My Tongue 2013 by Magazine 3, the Contemporary Art Museum in Stockholm. Welcome to this uh, next chapter of uh, our sound catalogue. My name is Tessa Praun. I'm curator at Magazine 3. My name is Richard Julen. I'm deputy director and chief curator at Magazine 3. The uh, exhibition on the tip of my tongue uh, is um, based on the notion of a more fragmented way uh, how art is being created, but also how it can be experienced. And it is also very much... Uh, linked to the conversations that we've had over the last months. Uh, And so it felt very natural uh, to continue these conversations and also to do so with the artists and um, make a publication in the audio format. And um, in previous chapters, we've uh, talked to Stina Nordenstam, uh, Pierre Wieck and uh, Miranda July. In this uh, chapter, we speak to Tamara Henderson. Uh, She's a Canadian artist. And uh, we felt that we wanted to have her uh, works in the exhibition because she uh, is very interested in the subconscious and she takes a lot of inspiration from her dream world. Uh, And for that, we felt that it really somehow kind of represents the the surreal and and these... um, ideas and thoughts and feelings that you cannot really uh, grasp uh, and, and um, put into words. So mm. uh, you have this fragmented uh, feeling of, of uh, her dream world. Mm-hmm. I guess when we looked at the different artists and our different artworks uh, that we wanted to, to scatter in time and space somehow, which for, for On the Tip of My Tongue, she, she also somehow... Uh, perhaps more than others represent something uh, that has a link to to art history mm. uh, a bit more clearly perhaps than others uh, not something that I want to spell out of course in this context mm. but it's, it's it's really clear when you um, when you experience her art in, in fact also in the media that she uses uh, it's something that that kind of um, evokes feelings of, of, of the past in certain ways. And at the same time, it's uh, clearly, of course, uh, very, <laughs> very contemporary. Mm-hmm. Tamara Henderson's presentation uh, in the exhibition uh, consists of a group of uh, three 16-millimeter color films with uh, optical sound. Um, they are called Neon Figure, Accent Grave on Ananas, and Three Pockets Diogeti. And they're all uh, from 2013. And uh, Tamara sees them as a trilogy, and that is something that she also talks about uh, in this chapter. Mm-hmm. I, I think it's worth uh, pointing out also that, uh, in fact, Axon Gavon uh, Ananas and Three Pockets Diogeti were made uh, with this exhibition mm-hmm. in mind when she traveled, and more on that uh, when we when we speak to her, of course. Mm-hmm. But uh, she traveled uh, to far away places mm-hmm. uh, with her. Uh, camera to to make these uh, films. Uh, 
for on the tip of my tongue. But there are actually quite a number of uh, works in the show, and uh, the uh, sculptures are called Pacific Peace Chair, Vancouver, Pramelin 46, Utrecht, October 17, Stockholm, Paradise Chair, Newfoundland, uh, Crescent Garden Chair, Nuremberg, Portland Estates, Sloopy, Halifax. And these sculptures are made, uh, some of them in 2013 and some in 2011. Um, there are also six smaller sculptures in the shape of glasses in the exhibition, and they are called pineapple interiors. They are made 2013. In fact, they're made while one of the films uh, is being shot. Accent Gravonananas. Uh, also, it could be interesting to point out that if uh, you get really interested in details around these sculptures, we have an exhibition folder uh, that also exists in digital format, so that can be downloaded on our, our website. Uh, there are a number of collaborators and uh, people that Tamar has worked on for sound and films and so forth. Uh, that can be interesting to to read about. We met uh, Tamara um, just after the the part of the exhibition that happens in the Freeport area in Stockholm opened, and it was also the day before she left again for Canada. During the conversation, it becomes clear what uh, what uh, what an intense relationship Tamara has with her dreams, mm. and with writing and and recording her dreams. Mm and finding different ways of putting herself in certain states of minds from which she creates. The first film, Neon Figure, uh, I made in December, January, and that basically followed a text that I had written um, uh, that I called in the neon figure and it was written um, along to a album China Crisis when the blinds open and the fruit falls and the figure crosses the middle ground uh, that comes from that longer text so basically I just exerted it because I found a relationship with that paragraph then the second scene is um, a typewriter type that can type on its own uh, and then the text on that typewriter is the uh, broader screenplay of the film mm -hmm. so there there are like characters and tropes that uh, occur in the film mm -hmm. so um, and then there was uh, the third scene that kind of came from a dream that I had in Lithuania of a a sweet grass, um, hay, uh, dream boss. There's this hay uh, sculpture, and then the transition is to the tropical uh, cluster of plants on the street. And then it ends in the pool um, with a floating advertisement, which is for the pest detective, uh, a character that occurs in the yellow pages of the Vancouver phone book on every page of the phone book. And so I had called the number on the advertisement and the woman on the phone, she answered and I was recording and she said, thank you for calling Best Detective, how may I help you? 
Yeah, that's in the kind film. Kind of New York accent she had, mm. but really nice. It was c- kind of felt like a naked lunch or something, or like the vibe of her voice, or the office that she probably was sitting in, or something like that. With Neon Figure, I knew the opening scene because the other scenes that I had written were um, involved too many other people and they would be more um, larger feats in terms of uh, cinematic construction. Mm -hmm. From my dream work, I often, in the past when I made films, um, like The Spirit of Garfield, In Spite of NH, and Slosh Ballad Anonymous Loan, that kind of more like showcase dream invention or um, objects from dreams. I I built them uh, in a series, so I I did I did also select uh, certain objects or inventions that I, I wanted to have in the everyday. So yeah, because those earlier films, I remember they they felt. Uh, to me, they felt almost like sculptures, but in a cinematic form. Mm-hmm. And and uh, I don't know if you agree with that at all, but that's how I felt about them. And now with Neon Figure and the way that you've evolved in some, or you've you've you're moving in some kind of direction. I don't mm-hmm. know if you feel yeah, the same. Yeah, I know. Yeah, I can see that. I'm uh, especially with uh, accent grab on Ananas. I. I become more, not more concerned, but um, because I taught myself how to make 16 millimeter film, I'm more free to work with transitions, for example, or um, change of light states. I guess it's something to do with uh, maybe being comfortable. I do... I do it more like theater, I guess, like practice it before, and then I film what I've well, choreographed. How do you prepare the the very scenes? Well, for all of those, the films at Magazine 3 right now, they're all um, text, but in fragments, in various notebooks. When it's time to organize the sculptures and the set and the scenes and the colors and the lights or the transitions uh, I make full storyboards so I plan it out like that so I know usually I know the beginning through to the end of the three minutes film but what is what is it like when you then since you prepare all the scenes so meticulously and you only edit in the camera itself. I mean, you said before that you, it's almost like preparing a screen, uh, like a theater play. And if you would be the director of that, you can, when you then see the, the finished set all together, you can still go in and kind of make adjustments even after the premiere or whatever. But here, once it out, it's out, then it's out. And how is that? Do you? It is a very strange uh, relationship you have with that first uh, view of the film for sure but I um, with Axel uh, and Ananas as I sp- I'm speaking about that one a lot because it's my last film I shot by myself I uh, after I did the sound I with Dan Riley I I really felt um, attracted to the film 
when it was silent, I, I, of course, something was missing, or this like full mood of the scenes is missing because it was silent. How do you feel about the relation? You call it a trilogy. Is it they they they've been made more or less in in a succession, right? One after the other. How 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 is it that these three? How you why do you feel that these are and not the one you made before uh, Neon Figure, for instance? The accent grab on us kind of follows Neon Figure because of this uh, news this paper that's printed out by the typewriter. There are a few um, cues in the text. Here today, gone to Maui. That's a <laughs> one line that kind of makes, even though I didn't go to Maui, but uh, a friend of mine went to Maui and I had, uh, I found a, a shirt uh, that said, here today, gone to Maui. As she went to Maui and she wasn't really looking forward to the trip or something and I found this uh, shirt and I thought uh, that it was funny so I wrote it down into my screenplay and then I thought about vaca vacationing like uh, I can think about those films also in that way like it, they're like kind of flash fiction vacations especially the one where I did go to another country another faraway island uh, I felt some sort of cue from neon figure to do that and and then so there to me I guess they're very tied together and I guess because it's also filmed in that city of Vancouver and it has its whole uh, essence or like the conception of those ideas comes from collaboration uh, with Tiziana who's based and has been based in Vancouver and our, it came from conversations and then uh, only simply a conversation about a pocket uh, and then the whole, we start developing a storyboard together, mostly through writing. That the, the material that's not from a dream or from another altered state or like the automatic writing sessions, it's those three films mark this like time and like sort of the act of of being in a in a city yeah i think you feel it uh once we put them together i mean you sent them to us i don't know what what you call a digital telescene yeah the telescene the telescene and we saw them and had them on on screens at the same time and you could just um you just intuitively feel that they 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 work together when they and that's belong what, what yeah they belong together and you feel it in the exhibition now on the tip of my tongue that uh, they're running at the same time and sort of visually they kind of blend well and also sound wise there's this sound that comes and goes and they have different lengths so it's there's always a new soundtrack in the room mm. that you actually can't there's there's um uh another level of chance operation running in there as an exhibition yeah. which uh is it it just makes you f it really puts you in a certain type of mood, and which of course is up to each and every person that comes in there. But it's clearly something you just feel when you come in there. It, it doesn't. It's not like one of them. They they need each other for sure, both visually and sound wise. Mm -hmm. And then, of course, they're very much objects. I mean, when you step into that uh, space that we that we decide, you know, I mean that that is there now. There's all also the. Uh, I mean, there's three 
16 miller, millimeter projectors, and they have these what are what are they called? The things that they looper loopers on them, and then uh, in the end they 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 are on a little bit different heights. The three projectors, so in themselves they also have a they they create a space together. So this trilogy has a, a actually quite a large space in there. Have you shown films like is this? How, how how do you feel about this setup? It's true that these three films side by side uh, make sense because they are like, and we showed them like in in a chronological order. So you can also read them that way if you wanted to. Um, yeah, I like I really like that visually uh, in terms of that installation. And true that the sound um, it interrupts is they interrupt each other on occasion because they each have their own crescendo and uh, decrescendos and so on. But uh, still, they have uh, I think they have almost the similar moods in them. So um, their musical sensibility components, where Dan, for example, he plays. Um, the Hawaiian slide guitar or he composed the drum track at the end of the film on the beach, like the landscape scene. And then in Neon Figure there are some steel drums at the end. And then in the Three Pockets, Teojeti, there, when the sunroof is uh, closing, Johann Bjork created also a this sort of track that has rhythm and like the mood of it, those three moods are almost the same, I think, in those parts. So in the same room, they work together. Because um, I don't think that there are too many like high uh, contrast um, or like polar opposites in terms of the this, this soundtracks or even the visual track. They, they are related. Mm-hmm. I thought it was interesting while we were installing that you also wanted them to be fairly close to the wall like that and zoomed in so that you can, so that a spectator would actually walk up fairly close. It's not, it's not a cinema situation where you sit way back and, and watch a large screen. These are three, qu- quite the same size, the, the three different images but it it kind of makes people walk up to them mm-hmm. but then you can also step back and i you know so far we've seen now that the exhibition has been open a while that people spend quite a lot of time in there so you can see one you can see them one after the other perhaps the way you've envisioned this this one way of looking at it that you see one after the other in a chronological order mm-hmm. but then also it it to me it kind of becomes like one film but in three it's just this one experience with all of the sound and all of the three at the same time when you step back a little bit, which is quite a, in a very nice way, complex way of just experiencing one, one thing somehow. Yeah. But, and, and also actually I've seen how people kind of wander between kind of really stepping so close that they stand next to the projectors so they can actually see the projection as a whole and then how they kind of move back again and almost stand behind 
the proje projectors and don't mind the fact that it's actually standing kind of in the way of the image, but it's also really part of the, the installation and also part of the experience of the whole installation and the films. Because, I mean, even there you have yet another sound, not only the, the soundtrack for the three films, but you also have the, the sound of the projectors themselves. Mm -hmm. So it's... Um, I think also with that sound, it really kind of puts it together to this one work somehow because that kind of combines the whole or kind of keeps it together even more. Um, the rattle, like the, yeah, the rattling, rattle of yes. The mm -hmm. How do you think about that, that, that sound in general? Um, because it's always there, of course. And yeah, the, the machine sound. I don't mind it myself. And I think, uh, I think that I like to show my f films on 16 millimeter projector. It's not so much to me about the the way that those machines also become like a, they are quite sculptural, and and you do see every frame of the, or you can see if you you wanted to look like the frames passing in front of the light, and that 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 the sound is also on the film. These sort of things. I don't, I don't romanticize that so much, but I think that it's nice that other people can see that there's still film uh, with a heartbeat or something, like still like alive and well, or so that it's that it is a medium. In this case, with your films, what it really makes, I mean, why it works so well, I think, in this case, is that since you're working with the kind of unconscious and the, you you take things from your from your dream world, uh, and to have this rattling of the of the projectors kind of I think also really puts the viewer into a kind of kind of calmer state of mind. It's something you're you uh, you kind of get stuck there, but in in just a positive sense that it's almost like meditative somehow. Just it kind of that sound even helps more to to kind of get to that level um, and really get into... It kind of enhances, the, the, I think, the atmosphere that I feel that you want to bring out with the films. I think there's also something about the... If there's tiny errors on the films, too, you see them... Uh, when you see them on film and you can see sometimes... Feel the camera moving or, like, when I handhold the camera when I sometimes when I don't... When I choose to do that... Or if I see my finger changing the aperture, like things like that that are not edited out or something like this, you feel the presence also of the camera. Like I think, like that's really nice. Um, it's like through through and through, like on film. So it has a that all of those tiny things have a a big resonance. I think, like in that show or in this exhibition.
in this exhibition, we had, as we just said, we have the three films mm -hmm. in the in sort of in the back in the more darker room. And if you move outwards in your exhibition, there are two groups of three sculptures each. So there are six sculptures plus the nine films. And uh, how how have you gone about creating these sculptures? Each one of them is from a different. Uh, hypnotherapy session uh, and each one has its own respective uh, place so um, the three um, on the right in front of the films are Primalon 46 uh, from Utrecht and then Paradise Newfoundland and Portland Estates Sloopy um, from Halifax and those furnitures are all from those different places, and then the titles are, they kind of define them by their locality, and um, add, some of them have, like, Paradise, Newfoundland, it was, like, in the town of Paradise, so this, like, little tiny village, and then uh, Portland Estates is also the place where the hypnotherapist lived, and... Primalon 46 was the house that I was staying in in Utrecht when I made this uh, furniture. So and, and how did you do that? I mean, what what did a session look like, really? From from the, f <laughs> how did you prepare them? Or I mean, well, the first one that I ever did, like Paradise Newfoundland, was uh, in. I was in St. John's, Newfoundland, staying at my friends in the suburbs, and then the hypnotherapist said he would come and pick me up. Uh, because his his like practice was at his place and it was like rural, so I waited for him and he came up in a blue convertible mm -hmm. and has a little long white hair and like chains and cowboy boots and he he drove me to his place which was like an A-frame house that he and his wife had built himself and then everything he had was like self self made like he made his own furniture he, he made like wood carvings in the in the woods by like a fire pit and his hypnotherapy office was in the basement of his house and um yeah he had a lot of uh coffee tables uh like large hands holding up glass or like uh, lizards uh holding up glass like a very strange interior uh after uh, maybe an hour um I laid back in this chair and then he had a cassette tape like it's the first time I did it was quite cliche like but he had a cassette tape of like the ocean sounds and so in a very strong Newfoundland accent the Portland Estates and the um Pacific Peace chair from Vancouver those two I asked for a session called ultra depth ultra height and then it has a lot to do with the first part of it being about your body and then um you almost become weightless or like mm. you kind of do become weightless as you're like laying back and then um they make um suggestions so like how to get down so they like have usually the la these two experiences i had with this were like on an escalator and then a slow counting because a the hypnotherapist has like a special voice mm -hmm. like they will talk like this uh, uh, this speed and whatever and then they will start um talking like a hypnotherapist 
so really slow and um, they, they will say things like feel it or so like they really talk slowly and rhythm yeah and it's almost it's so relaxing <laughs> I mean I find to experience that and um, and then for the Pacific Peace Chair, the woman, she she described a beach and then a cabana, like on the and with a small veil blowing in the wind. So she suggested things that are just like descript. She was descriptive, but also I could fill in there. So you could actually talk as well, or was it more a monologue from the hypnotherapist? It's a monologue, uh, for the most part. Only one asked me to talk. I prefer not to actually talk. I like to just lay lay back and, uh, and relax. It's almost to me like having uh, rem- memory, memory from a dream because I can remember the shape and the form, like the, the form's way of like its posture and then uh how they appear because the Prumalon 46 was like out of the black because the woman she described like a black the black woods like a scary uh it was scary, kind of scary and so when i see this chair i really feel like um i remember it like where it came where where it appeared from and then this newest one portland estates was more like the man was talking about a tunnel coming out of the top of your head and then you go out of the top of your head and then it was all like a huge white space with no um, boundaries. So it was like almost like it was a a perfect seamless photo room. Sloopy. I thought of Sloopy, the <laughs> the chair's name. Uh, and I can't really say why, but I when I see this chair, I think about like, the last few months, like, I, oh, I've been looking at a lot of Klaus Oldenburg. Could you describe the, the sculpture? How, how Sleepy. Yeah, please. The core part is a love seat. And then on the right-hand side is my, if I was standing behind the chair, it is a wave form. So three ripples and then a back. And then it is paired with a... Um, sec- the second part, which is a rigid staircase, and the staircase is shorter than the curved shape, but they meet exactly. So, like the curve and the step is at the same um, point of uh, des- descendance, so it goes down all the way to the floor, and then it, around the back is like almost a halo of black sand uh, and so there's this oval cutout uh, where the the backrests are of the two uh, the curved form and the staircase form S- uh, it's just sand with black pigment and it's still got some glossy shine to it because I, w- I tried to keep the materiality of the sand uh, vis- visible um, like almost like asphalt or like the high, uh, highway uh, texture. And then the back is black. 
It does feel like the word sloopy. I don't know uh, why I thought of that word, but <laughs> it has the attitude of... Uh, and it was funny, quite, quite funny, like when I built it in Halifax uh, for the first time, I built it for the Sobeys Art Awards exhibition, and I... I built it, I, I put it together somehow in, in, in my friend's kitchen and I remember when it came a little bit to fruition, the form, and then I burst uh, into laughter, like thinking, and I, just thinking of that word, I don't know, and I guess like that's my, that is my curiosity with this part of my practice, is to, when I made those furnitures, it's so, it's so strange, like to have suddenly like the form that you, envisioned in this way and then standing there almost to your scale so you have this relationship with it then but I think that's only my selfish like I am the only one who can experience that feeling but still but I I have to come back to the session itself because I'm not quite sure that I understand exactly how it works but because it feels like the hypnotherapist is talking about not the chair at all. I mean, is is he or she giving you any clues and trying to kind of help you to think about any kind of chair? Uh, or is that person just talking about really making his or her kind of uh, method of kind of bringing you down to, or up or whatever, to this <laughs> certain uh, stage or kind of the this, uh, I don't know what you call it, kind of the, the mindset. But how do you create like when do you actually design the the chair the sculpture is it while you are in in that mindset and how can you actually control that that you are thinking about the chair in that moment what mm. if you just wander off and you're kind of in that halo white thing and then completely <laughs> forget to talk about, or kind of think about the chair <laughs> how does that work they don't talk about furniture at all no uh the only time I can remember that they remind, they do remind you of what you're doing. Like, so you will, like when you come up the hill, you will, you see it there. Or like you, you're searching for the, like, or they're searching for the color or you're searching for, like they do know that you're looking for something. Mm. Um, kind of guiding you a little bit so that you can fill in with what you're searching for. Yeah, but I still think it's, it's with like associative thinking or like suggestive, um, like almost like a suggestive ritual. You would, if I said like, uh, you're walking through the woods and there's a giant uh, turquoise uh, triangle with. 10 legs and uh, a curve uh, base. If we each of us drew that, mm. it would just all be different. Like we wouldn't have drawn something that was, mm. even though it was coming from a suggestion with a lot of detail, it still would be stylized and it still has to do with your aesthetic understanding or your taste or your... Um, previous knowledge of how to combine a triangle, ten legs, and a curvy base. When I realized these furnitures, it was all kind of like almost at the end of the session. Like when it was like out maybe 10, 15 minutes before it was like mm -hmm. time to uh, 
open my eyes again and like wake up again. Um, so I think sometimes at the end of this period of your mind wandering, it's something comes more into fruition. But I guess I will continue doing this, like um, making these visits to the hypnotherapist because I think it's kind of fun. And um, I like that experience and also the time frame of relaxing, like uh, having that hour and a half to kick back and... Um, yeah, but I think, it was, I think it was nice how you also said, I think last week after the press conference or maybe before that, uh, it's also really a way for you to kind of cut out the the critical voice by doing this these kind of sessions sometimes i try to sit down and draw some furniture or like think of like oh i feel like building a chair but i find it absolutely impossible so this way it's like oh i agree with myself like even if i don't even think it looks nice like or if i like it or not it could be really ugly like some of those furnitures i find are ugly but uh after the point of like uh designing them i agree with them and say this is how it was and then uh i'll build it and no matter if i hate white or if i don't want to <laughs> use this textile or if i don't want to if i don't like leather or something mm -hmm. like this i just go ahead and build it But I mean, you could decide also to to when a certain shape comes about that you know that you you would get some another person to do it. But it seems that you very consciously want to make these. That that process is part yeah. of, of this. It would be something else to give it to someone else, like the the doodle. But it would be the same as giving someone my dream notes and they're probably illegible to you and you probably couldn't transcribe them the same way because I usually transcribe onto the computer but same with this is like I have such a relationship with them because I just make a drawing with like one color pen or so after the session you make these little drawings yeah like they leave me alone and uh, I sit with my book and draw But I build it according to the shape, but also according to my memory, because um, I'm not that I'm not bad at drawing, but I'm not the best like proportionate. Propor I'm not so good with proportion and perspective drawing, so I have to compensate with my memory. There are also these glasses oh, yeah. in the exhibition that uh, in that are interesting to talk about because we started talking about your films and then these objects that have sort of sprung out of your dreams and these these glasses have sprung out of of a film so to speak. I mean, if we walk around the the exhibition, you can see these pineapples and and how how they, they these glasses are being made. Where uh, where were these? Where were they made? These 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 objects that we have. There's a glass blowing uh, co-op in Vancouver called Terminal City. I started thinking about glass and casting glass, and then I'd ask them once, like, "Can you blow glass into fruit?" 
And so that's what they did. They blew it into the pineapple. And then, so the form of it is quite true to the inside of the pineapple. When you take the pineapple, do you, how is that done? Is it like just a knife and someone just... Yeah, I did it myself. I brought some pineapples. I brought six pineapples to the glass blowing studio and then um I just cut the top off and um took out the middle. Like some of them I took out a lot and some I took out half or um so that was like the you basically experimented to see how this would work, right? Yeah, it was the first time that we did it was the day that we would shoot the film. So they um they were They told me that it was fine, though. They had seen um, organic, like glass blowing into organic um, shapes before for glass art. And then we shot the film and then we just continued making glasses because they said, oh, we have some three more hours, so we'll just make glasses. <laughs> and so I In said, the same oh, nice. pineapples? You could just keep going? Yeah, we had six. When the, the one on the film was the first... Um, the glass goes in and it was the first time glass was blown into that particular pineapple because of the juice and stuff like the bubbling and the smoking and so on. It's nice with the smoke coming up. In the <laughs> it smelled really good too in the room. And the pineapple, I guess, I mean, it does go really well with that Hawaiian setting afterwards. Is that how you chose the pineapple? Or did you the pineapple was first. I, I, I started with that scene and then I went to the second scene with the phantom figures in the in the yard mm. waiting uh with empty glasses and then the fan really that fan the was the cue to um finally finish the film in Hawaii because I was laying on my friend's bed in Vancouver and that fan was on and it was rocking back and forth and The shadow of it, uh, I was just watching the shadow and then I s looked at the fan and it said, Hawaiian breeze. And <laughs> I, I was Is that how you decided to go to Hawaii? There. Because of <laughs> <Yeah>. that fan? <laughs> yes. Oh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> Because I felt like the, I thought of the transition really, like the fan swaying back and forth and then as it, as the camera sees it and then it it has a f fade out and when it fades back in it's like the breeze palms. of the palms mm -hmm. and then the t a telephone scene come there's a telephone that comes out of the ground because it felt like um a long distance phone call because i don't ever have a phone and when i live in canada i didn't have a mobile phone so i use always like pay phones and Um, I think that's really nice. I have a photo on my computer that says my phone and it's a payphone on the street. And then on Oahu, like by the beach where I shot this film, there were many, many, many payphones like beside the beach, but they were all rusty and didn't work. Yeah. Uh, and then I wanted to make a long distance phone call scene. So I put the phone, I brought the phone with me from Vancouver through the <laughs> through the <laughs> customs and stuff <laughs> and then then I had it uh, as a prop at, at the beach so it was it was it was great it worked out it's nice to have a conversation about that and to I'm just thinking about the next movie now 
I, <laughs> I was yeah, thinking let's talk about, about that. That's yeah? nice. I yeah, mean, that's how? A nice way to end. I can't where? tell you. It's like Pierre. Now I turn into Pierre. <laughs> oh. <laughs> but I won't tell tell you. It is on the tip of your tongue. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> we look forward to seeing more. Thanks. Tomorrow. Thank you. Thank you. This was Chapter 4 of the Sound Catalog to the Exhibition On the Tip of My Tongue 2013 by Magazine 3, the Contemporary Art Museum in Stockholm. The full Sound Catalog is collected on Magazine3.com and iTunes. The Exhibition and Sound Catalog is curated by Richard Julin and Tessa Praun, the sound catalog is produced by Thomas Reinay and Jens Nielsen. Editorial staff, Liv Stoltz and Nina Everly. Speaker voice, my name is Amon Ray Runninghorse. Magazine 3 Colophone. The director of Magazine 3 is David Newman and Katja Finkel, his PA. Deputy director and chief curator, Richard Julin. Curator, Tessa Praun. Communications Manager, Lisa Bustrem. Assistant Curator of Collection Research, Bronwyn Griffith. Assistant Curator, Nina Everly. Curator Program in Education, Sarah Shellstrom. Substitute Curator Program in Education, Liv Stultz. Administrative Director, Tuve Schalin. Administrator, Erica Magnusson. Substitute Administrator, Eric Johnson. Chief Technician of the Collection, Thomas Nordin. Chief Technician of the Exhibitions, Christopher Garney. Technicians, Tony Axelson and Peter Wiklund. Magazine 3 is an independent cultural institution under the auspices of the privately owned company group Proventus AB.